Fed Talks is a podcast for theater teachers and theater education students. I am Dr. Jimmy Christman, theater education professor at Illinois State University. Each week, I want to bring you stories and interviews from experienced K-12 theater teachers, current theater education majors, and professors of theater education that will warm your heart, renew your faith in teaching, and provide resources to better your practice in your theater classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Fed Talks Podcast. I'm Jimmy Crispin, your host, and I have a great interview for you that I can't wait to share with you. Um, Again, one more time, if you reach out to me and put me in touch with somebody who you think would be a great guest on the show, I'm going to reach out and I'm going to do everything in my power to get them on the show. This week is no exception, and I know you're going to love everything that my guest has to share. So thank you for joining us this week. I am super excited to welcome the Fed Talks today, Lakeitha Blakeney. Um, she came highly recommended to me to have on the show uh, by a former student of mine and uh, who's doing really well out in Los Angeles right now. But he said, you have to have Lakeitha on the show. So I reached out to her and she said, yes, let's do it. And here we are. So welcome to the podcast, Lakeitha. Um, tell us a little bit about you, what you do and uh, kind of your journey to get to where we are in your career right now. Okay, thank you so much for having me. And thank you, Jonathan, for, you know, <laughs> giving me a little plug there. I'm um, super excited to be here today. Well, um, my journey to where I am now, honestly, has come a little bit full circle. What's really funny is I didn't really fall in love with theater until I was about 15. And uh, I went to a summer camp. It's kind of late in the game to go to summer camp. My neighbors are very, very loud. Um, <laughs> it's kind of late in the game to go to a summer camp but it was at Children's Theater of Charlotte. And I got to play the Wicked Queen in Snow White. And I still have the VHS. And uh, <laughs> we keep a VCR just to watch it every once in a while. And I just fell in love with it. And I knew I would do that for the rest of my life. And then you fast forward 20 some odd years and I get hired to be a part of the uh, Children's, um, Children's Theater Company's resident touring company. And one of the shows we were doing was Snow White and Seven Dwarfs. And of course, I'm cast again as the Wicked Queen. I thought that was funny. I said, so my life has come full circle in that moment. But um, from there, you know, I got my um, degree in theater from UNC Greensboro. And there I started out in the BFA program, you know, the more focused program, more acting-centered program, and then realized about halfway through it that it just really wasn't a good fit for me, uh, and decided to move to the BA degree, which was a more broader education, which I think has really served me very well. And then in addition to that, I added African-American studies as a second major. And so when I can combine the two, which I try to do as often as I can, I am a super happy camper. Um, and so that combination of things has really served my career for as long as I have been working. And so I was in Greensboro for a while, moved to St. Louis and worked with the uh, Black Rep and the Repertory Theater of St. Louis for a while. And then I moved home and um, started working with like local companies like Matthew's Playhouse and went back to Children's Theater of Charlotte, also Mooresville Children's Theater, and uh, Davis and Community Players. I didn't realize how artsy-fartsy my own hometown was and how much there was actually going on. So I pretty worked pretty consistently since I've been here and got my master's from 
Southern New Hampshire University uh, in English and creative writing because but while I was in St. Louis, um, I was auditioning for shows and then realized there was nothing I actually really wanted to be in. Like, like I don't want to do any of these shows. And I had gone to what, Springfield, Illinois, I think where Abraham Lincoln Museum is. Mm-hmm. And that museum rocked my world. I loved it. I had never seen a museum like that before. Like, I just thought it was the most amazing place ever. And I said, how can I work here? I want to work here. And they said sometimes they commission one man, one woman shows, but they have to be during Lincoln's era. Mm. So I was like, okay. So I started thinking, what could I write? And so I started reading um, female slave narratives. And over, it took me about two years reading them because a lot of the subject matter is heavy and then it's written in like the original dialect. So sometimes it's hard to figure out what exactly they're saying. And uh, then I spent another year merging six women. I picked six from North and South Carolina, Virginia, Kentucky, and Missouri. Um, And I merged their lives together to create one woman named Jenny Butler. And she is um, a formerly enslaved woman, but it's just after emancipation. And she talks directly to the audience and she treats them as if they are recently freed people who are in search of their own loved ones. And she just talks to them. It's like she's out in front of this little shack and she comes out and she just shares her life. And it has been since 2014 that I've been touring it. Um, And it has been so well received. That was like my first time allowing anybody to see anything I actually wrote. I was afraid I would write things, but wouldn't show it to anybody. Um, But that was the first thing that I showed to people and it was really well received and won a couple of awards. And so it's still happening to this day. And now um, I'm working on a new piece um, and it'll happen at Matthew's Playhouse and it's called uh, Hot Summer. And it is um, inspired by everything that has happened this particular summer, the summer of 2020 and the long history of racial unrest injustice and inequality in America. So it'll, it'll, will address some things and it will include uh, young people, like what they know. And somehow I'm going, I'm, it's in the making. We're working on um, like a survey when they start, cause it'll be a class that they'll take with me and then it'll lead up into a performance that I haven't exactly worked out how they'll participate, but their words will definitely be a part of the show. And then we'll do the survey again to see what kind of growth they've had. Cause we want to address some misunderstandings because things are happening because sometimes you just don't know and we don't think to ask one another. So we want to really address those things and really start our journey toward you know, real diversity, real inclusion, real equity, and truth and reconciliation. So that's where I sit now. Long story long, that's kind of where I sit now. <laughs> we, I've got a lot to unpack with what you just shared. So okay. I'm just going to jump in and start asking some questions. I was unaware that you went to UNC Greensboro. That's where I got my master's. What? Uh, yeah, when uh, Lorraine Shackelford was still there. Yes, yeah. I just talked to Lorraine, what, like two weeks ago? Uh, on the phone, uh, she reached out to me on Facebook and wanted to chat. 
And so it was like lovely talking to her. So yeah, yeah, that's I, cool. I need to get her on the show. Um, she's one of the few teachers in my life that I haven't had on here yet, and I, I need to get her on here. So that that's exciting. I'm, I'm happy to hear. Oh, she would love it. She would love it. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about your work with Children's Theater of Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um, and the touring company there it used to be called the Terra Diddle Players, yes. um, and then they they changed it to the touring company. Um, mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about what what you all do with that. Um, it's not just taking a show to a school and performing. I mean, you do lots of things with that. So right. So the resident touring company. Um, a lot of times when we travel to various schools, uh, some of them are in rural areas. A lot of times it's the first time children have ever been exposed to live theater. They've never seen it before. Uh, You'll hear them say, even kids that come into the children's theater to see a play as a field trip, you'll hear them say, what movie are we going to see? What, what's the movie about? And then they find out very quickly, it's not really a movie, it's people and they can actually hear you and see you and respond to the things that you're doing. Um, A lot of times um, it's, for me, anyways, it was because I saw someone like myself and realized that that was an avenue for me. So I felt like I got that from some of the younger uh, black kids that I would meet. And they said, this is what you do. This is actually a job. You can do this thing. I say, it is. It's actually a job. It's, <laughs> it's possible. And uh, from time to time, I believe we taught a workshop here and there. We were able to do that. And we always would have a question and answer portion especially with the shows that we did that particular season. Um, Not necessarily with Snow White, uh, but The New Kid, we did that show. I can't think of the playwright, but uh, it's a show, you know, about the little boy who comes from a place called Homelandia. And it's to help kids kind of understand what it might be like to move to a place and the language that they speak is not your first language. So what's cool is that all the American kids which, my, which was myself and Jonathan, um, we spoke in gibberish because that's what it would sound like to a person who doesn't speak your language. And uh, Rasheen Shabazz spoke um, in English so the kids could experience it with him. And as he learned the language, so did they. And it was cool when they would figure out what certain words meant and they understood what we were talking about and things like that. And how, um, and it was just all about kindness. You know, everybody's experience is different and it's okay to get to know one another and to ask questions and just to be kind. It doesn't cost you anything. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so um, through, uh, we were able to educate a lot through our Q&A time we got to have with the kids. That's the main thing we did. And I just, not just, it feels like just, but right before COVID showed up, um, I performed in Aquila and the Bee at um, CTC on the main stage. And that was so much fun. I enjoyed playing Gail Anderson, the mom, you know, the story of the young lady and the spelling bee and overcome some adversity to win. Um, this huge uh, spelling bee that nobody thought. It's like your ultimate underdog story. Um, had so much fun doing that show because uh, Gail Anderson was just a lot of the women in my own life. And that's basically, I channeled my mother and my aunts and my friends' moms, and I just had so much fun performing that. 
Well, I I have a very special place in my heart for children's theater. They are where I I did my very first education internship in my ah. undergrad when they were still in the little theater off Moorhead uh, before oh, they moved. Yeah, that's where I was at summer camp <laughs> when it was on Moorhead. <laughs> yeah, so uh, they do such amazing work and and are such a valuable asset to the Charlotte community. And uh, if any of the listeners are ever in Charlotte, you've got to stop at Children's Theater Charlotte and check out the the children's mu- uh, the library and the museum and just everything that goes oh, on there. The it's- library itself is just, imagine on, is amazing. I was yeah. like, this is a library? And I think some adults are disappointed that they don't get to uh, sit in the library. You have to have a kid in order to sit in that library. <laughs> but a lot of adults that don't have kids want to just be in that library because it's just the best. It's a cool space. Ever. Yeah. Um, well, and you, you mentioned a little bit ago that you, you have worked all over the Charlotte area and people, I don't think people realize what a vibrant theater scene Charlotte has. Mm-hmm. And, and, the huge educational component that is all over the the Charlotte theater area as well. So do you have any of your favorite stories from um, any of the work in the, in the, in the Charlotte area outside of children's theater? Um, let me think, let me think. Well, I mean, it's, um, this would be a little bit outside of Charlotte and it's in Greensboro. Um, I've done a lot of work. I got the opportunity to work with students at Bennett College for women. And then that opportunity, I had done so many performances with them, uh, so many so that uh, people thought I was a student. And I was like, no, um, (laughs) for whatever reason, the professors just keep asking me to participate. And then it turned into this opportunity to go to South Africa uh, for the National Arts Festival. And I was like, okay, to perform. I'm like, perform in South Africa? Uh, Yeah. Sure. Um, so to travel with them, so that was an amazing thing to get to perform on that particular stage and the experiences and meeting the people we got to meet and um, learning, seeing the shows we got to see. Uh, some were in English. Uh, there was one show in particular. I don't remember the name of it. I just remember being in tears and completely moved by everything they were doing, even though not a word of it was in English, but it was just so clear as to what the show was about. It was like an experience I will absolutely never forget. Um, and the school paid for it all, for us to travel there, passports, everything. It was, it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. And in the Charlotte area, I've just met so many awesome artists here who are all working on their own things and grassroots starting shows. Like you have Three Bones Theater and uh, Robin Times Miller is into, um, a huge part of starting that theater company. And uh, you know, Actors Theater of Charlotte, um, they just do really amazing work. Um, Actors Theater just did... Um, Lady Day, live mm. at Emerson Bar and Grill. Amazing, amazing, such an amazing show. And I also saw four women there. That show um, about Nina Simone's uh, song for women, but about the four little girls. And um, it, was, it was just moving. It was just awesome, such an awesome production. But there are so many gems. It's on the Q Productions, Quit and Tally. Mm. He does things. From time to time, there's just so many gems that are here to actually find. And there's so 
much opportunity for you to be able to create where you are exactly where you are because there's so many people who are willing to give knowledge to you for you to glean information from and um if they can help you they are willing to help you in whatever way possible so that's what i love i think the most about the uh, theater scene here that's awesome i love to hear that um because like i said that's where i kind of got my start and with with acting and and directing and and eventually mm-hmm. producing and that's where I started teaching at Vance High School was my first school, um, okay. and then I moved to Rock Hill uh, to South Point where eventually I met Jonathan and uh, was there until I moved to here. So I I have a very special place in my heart for that area. Um, awesome. Let's uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about your your work as a writer. Um, you you mentioned the 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 one woman show that you that mm-hmm. you did Jenny Butler. Um, I'd love to hear. Um, a little bit more about that and and if if you're still touring that or or still i mean maybe maybe you're doing a creative way now of, of doing that show with with what's going on right now with covid but how could teachers get in touch with you if, if they want to bring that to their students um oh if they want to reach out to me um i'm on facebook just under my name lakeitha blakeney that you'll find me on facebook and i'm also on instagram and my instagram is she can act one um, you can message me that way. Um, I think that's how you found me through Facebook. Uh, it's really easy to get in touch with me that way. Um, right now, at one point, I was so busy with, um, I was so booked before COVID, like super booked and blessed. Um, to be in the South, in this area, and I was working. Like, my jobs overlapped. I was going to multiple jobs a day. Wow. Um, I probably had said yes to too many things. <laughs> and after, you know, an artist who pieces their work together, and it's just the opportunities were there, you're like, yes, 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 I can do it. So I would leave uh, Mooresville, because I directed 101 Dalmatians, then leave that rehearsal and go drive to Matthews, and uh, start rehearsal for Babe. We were in the middle of rehearsals for Babe, which was going to be super cute. It was going to be so cute. Um, But it ended right in the middle of our rehearsal. Um, So it was just so good. And I was performing at CTC. So I didn't get to um, perform Sweet Jen this year. And honestly, what I have been trying to do is really push and encourage theaters and other places to tell black stories outside of the month of February. Um, And part of that is, I think people don't really understand the origins of Black History Month. Like, so, um, because a lot of people are like, why you need a Black History Month? Why is that? And if you understand like the origins, where it came from, how it used to be Black History Week, like you've never discussed any of this. Like all of it's like omitted from history books. It's just left out. Uh, We have the romanticized version of the founding, uh, the making of America and so many things get left out. And if there was no Black History Month or Black History Week as it used to be called, we'd never get the opportunity to talk about these things outside of our family unit or our churches and things like that. But I think now we're at a point where we can really start to push ourselves to tell stories outside of their respective months. We don't have to just talk about women during women Women's History Month or Black people during Black History Month or, you know, Native American History Month. You know, we, we can tell these stories at any time during the year. I understand how, like, sometimes logistically and marketing-wise, it's nice to have, like, a month 
that kind of goes along with whatever show you're doing. But um, I was just kind of glad not to do it this year and really try to push people to do it outside of that. Um, but writing for me, I, I remember writing in elementary school and like writing like stories that people seem to like, but it came back to me, you know, in 2014 when I needed, when I wanted to write something to try to perform, still haven't done it at the Abraham Lincoln Museum. That's still a hope to be able to perform it there at some point. But I was like, I really like writing. I really like being able to develop a character or talk about a particular subject that give somebody a, a voice. You know, a lot of people don't like to talk about um, the peculiar institution of slavery in America. Me, I love to talk about it, honestly. Uh, sometimes when you see like another movie that includes it, people go, do we need another slavery movie? I'm like, um, exactly how many have you actually seen? It's not that many. And if you're talking about Harriet Tubman, that's not fair because she's got like five or six movies. It's the same lady. It's the same story. We don't get to hear. I think every person, if it was possible, that was enslaved to experience that, their stories need to be told. They need a voice. And I figured um, I could be a voice for the voiceless or to talk about people we don't know about. Um, right now, Fannie Lou Hamer is one of the people that I want to talk about. I want to write about. I started working on a piece for her, but hated everything that I wrote. So I scrapped it all. So the plan is to start over and tell her story because she was just such an amazing human being that a lot of people don't know. And often when we talk about civil rights, women again get left in the background, like the men take the forefront. You have your Martin Luther King and your Malcolm X and your, you know, they always take the, the lead in the story, but there were women there who were a huge part. And, you know, if they were not there, th things wouldn't have gotten done the way they were done. We wouldn't have been able to accomplish things. So Fannie Lou Hamer was one of those women and I wanted to be a voice and just tell her story and introduce her to more people. Um, and a lot of times now I find that I'll have these, um, don't think I'm crazy or nuts, but I might be a little bit, I don't know. I'll have these little stories or a particular character will just kind of be in my head, like talking to me a little bit, like telling me some stuff. And it's like, write this down, write this down. And it really will nag me until I actually get a pen and jot a note down about something to come back to this later. Um, and I know it's going to be something. And uh, one of those things was a children's book that I wrote that I hope to have published at some point this year called Princess Fearless. And it's just kind of about my life as a kid. And uh, a lot of things, I fears I didn't overcome, <laughs> but my character, my book definitely does overcome certain fears. Um, like swimming, like I'm going to take swimming lessons this year because I'm just really afraid to sing because I swim like a rock. Like I can swim a little, not enough to save my life. And I would just like to be able to take a lap across the pool. And that's something I'm, I want to accomplish this year. Um, and since the pools are one of the few things you can still do uh, right now, I said, I, I guess I'll get like swimming lessons, but she just like riding the big roller coaster. You know, at Carowinds, like Thunder Road was the scary roller coaster. And you could not pay me to do that when I was a kid. Could not. My mom, I think, offered me like 20 bucks. She's like, I'll give you 20 bucks if you just get on. I was like, keep your money, lady. I'm not going to get on. <laughs> I didn't do it until I was, I was almost an adult. 
It like, took me a long time, but she overcomes those things. So it's just a fun little story about different funny things that happened to me as a kid. And it's all about like facing fear and meeting it head on and that you can do more than you think you can and you are stronger than you think you are. So that's what that's all about. But um, there's like a joy and a peace that I get from writing. And now that I'm in a position to do so, I live alone now, I can do, uh, I'm more disciplined as a writer. I really have time to really set up a writing schedule. When I get home from work, I come in, I eat, and I sit down and I set up and I start writing. As you can see my empty apartment, don't even have furniture. Yet I sit at the bar and I write. And I, I just love it. I, I, you know, I'm just like grateful for the opportunity to be able to do it. That's awesome. That is awesome. Um, you'll have to let us know when, uh, let me know when your, uh, Princess Fearless comes out. Um, oh, absolutely. And I will Sooner. definitely put that out there for, for people to, to get. And maybe we'll have you back on to talk a little bit more about it. Oh, awesome. That'd be, that'd be fabulous. Yeah. I'd love to. I'd love to have you on for that. Um, I, I'd like to talk a little bit now about your, the, the new piece that you're working on, um, mm -hmm. Hot Summer. Um, and there's a lot I'd love to get into regarding um, the, what, the why you wrote it and and all the events that have happened this summer um right and i think i think teachers i think this is an extremely important topic period but i think right now more than ever teachers need to be equipped to talk about it and and mm -hmm. to to do something with their students about what's going on when it comes to Absolutely. um racial um racial inequity uh, diversity in curriculum and and theater season planning i mean just everything so um i love and i am and this is i think this is why jonathan wanted me to talk to you um it's just it sounds like your heart and and your kind of what drives you with the work that you do as an artist really centers around that social justice aspect and and education is such a core component of that for you from what i'm hearing um so let's talk a little bit about that and and then kind of do a little bit of a deep dive into this this subject here. Sure, sure, absolutely. Uh, I'll do my best. Well, basically, it was one of those things you're watching this stuff on TV and it's just like, it is, it is absolutely traumatizing and it is exhausting too. Like every time you turn on the news, like I don't, no more, I don't have like regular TV, I stream TV. So I'm like Hulu or Netflix. I, uh, if I see the news, it is purposefully. I have logged on to CNN or ABC or whatever it is to purposely see what's going on because I don't want to be completely out of the loop, but I don't want to turn my TV on and, and as I'm getting ready, because I used to do that, you know, you have TV on while you get dressed and usually it's the news because you're listening for the weather and all that, but you hear all the other stuff that's happening, but you are constantly hearing about another black person being killed, another black, this happening, another black person being discriminated, not discriminated against and black bodies being policed and just walking around in the neighborhood or actually having to prove to a person that you live in a place just because you don't seem to look like you should belong here. And I myself have had those feelings where I, for a long time, made myself a lot smaller to accommodate 
other people. I didn't want to uh, appear to be the angry black woman. So I definitely didn't speak up when I felt like I should speak up for certain things or when I felt like something was wrong, but I didn't want to be that woman. I didn't want to be the angry black woman. So I didn't speak up. Um, for instance, I taught for two years at Lake Norman High School. There were um, three black teachers in the entire building me, a French teacher and an English teacher. And then there was uh, one black assistant principal there. And then, um, so as far as staff, that was all. I mean, you know, um, at night you would see some custodians, but it was not people that the kids saw because they only came in after school hours. Um, my student body, if I saw five kids of color, and I don't want to say five black kids, but I'm saying kids of color, period, all day, I was doing really well. Once I had five black girls in a class and I was like, what? They're all in the same class. I couldn't believe it. Um, so it's just where the location of it. I remember my first day there, um, a little Puerto Rican girl named Samantha. I won't forget Samantha. Um, first of all, the whispering started that there was a new teacher and that she's black. So there were these little, little black children coming in, just popping their heads in just to look, to actually see if, that was true. Wow. The new drama teacher. And I was like, what is happening? And then I realized that's what they're doing. And then I'm sitting at my desk and uh, maybe it's like the second week there. Uh, here comes Samantha, little Puerto Rican girl, comes over with her chair and puts her chair behind my desk directly beside me. And I said, what exactly is it that you're doing? <laughs> and she was just like, I just need to sit close to you. And, and I was like, they all are craving, all of them, and not just the kids of color, but white students too, are craving to be exposed to people other than themselves, people whose experiences are different. And um, as a teacher, I tell people, I don't treat my students equally. I do not. I treat them with equity because everybody doesn't need the same thing. So if I'm giving you all the same thing, it's either somebody is getting too much of something and somebody is not getting enough of something because I'm giving you all the same thing. So what I do my best is to give you what you need. And when if I give you each student what they need, then they will feel they are being treated equally, if that makes sense mm -hmm. to it all. Because it's not necessarily about equality, it's about equity. And so that's what I'm learning as, you know, I'm living and walking as a black woman in this world, um, that it is equity that people are seeking. It is equity that black folks have been seeking since we got here, since we've been here, since we arrived at this place and were brought to this place. It is equity is what we want. Um, growing up for me, I guess to give you some context, that is where I got the core of my Black history. There was always a Black History Month program. I always had to learn about somebody because I always had to be in co a costume because my mom was over the children's church. So I had no choice but to participate. You know, you go participate in these things. And I, that's where I really started to learn about these different people that I didn't hear about at school. But then I didn't have the language to question, why am I not learning about these people at school? Why do I only hear about these people at church? Why didn't I learn about, if I know who Thomas Edison is, why don't I know who Louis Lameter is? I should know who Louis Lameter is because the light bulb wouldn't work without the invention of Louis Lameter. You know what I mean? Like, why don't I know those things? They should be in this, like black history did not happen in a vacuum. It is American history. 
And until we can like really melt that together and show that this is what it is and get over this romantic idea of how this country was founded, we are going to stay in this loop that we have been in. Like, I can't believe that I'm having the same conversation that my grandmother, great grandmother, great, great, great grandmother was having. Like, I, I know they would think, well, geez Louise, I thought we would have figured that out by now. You know, and um, the core of my work really and truly is to remind my audience of their humanity. Because I feel like at some point, some of us forgot about our humanity. And if you forget about your own humanity, it is impossible for you to see it in another person. So if I'm reminded of my own humanity, I cannot help but see yours, your humanity. And in addition to that, I'm, um, can like I can address you how you need to be addressed because it is your right as a human being to be called or addressed whatever it is you desire to live in a way that you see fit as long as it does not impede on the life of some negatively impede on the life of someone else then you should be able to live as you see fit as a human being. You should be able to be a gay woman or a gay man in this world and marry and love who you love without it being a problem. You should be able to be a trans human being and be able to walk through the world as you see fit without it being a problem for the person down the street. Like why is who I love such an issue for you? Or why is my color such an issue for you? As a black woman, I should be able to buy any house in any neighborhood and not be questioned if I live here or not. I should be able to walk down the street and not be questioned like, should you be in this part of town or, or should you be in this store? Can you afford this? Because you would see my humanity. Like you would see my humanity and those things wouldn't come into question. And by when I say see each other's humanity, I don't mean don't see my color. I want you to. I love being a black woman more than I love being a girl. And I love being a girl, let me tell you. But I love being black. So I want you to see my color and love me because of it and not in spite of it. And I will do the same for you. That's the only time, like, talk to me. Ask me questions, you know, let's, let's talk, let's commune, let's get to know my experience. I am not a character that you saw on TV. I'm not the person that you saw on the news. Um, and it's an unfortunate thing. I was in a staff meeting and they were talking about making the space comfortable for children to be able to talk about what's going on in the world. Like if one kid has on a mask and another kid doesn't, and it comes up, why are you wearing a mask? Why are you not wearing a mask? They should be able to be comfortable asking and talking about certain things. And I raised my hand and I said, well, they should also be comfortable talking about what's happening socially in the world. What's happening with uh, the, uh, racial unrest in the world. They should be able to ask those questions. And I said that most of the places where I work are predominantly white. And what happens when things like this happen, if the responsibility falls onto the person of color to educate the entire staff, which is unfortunate because it's not fair, because it's not my job, especially not today. You have access to everything I have access to. You have Google just like I have Google. Google it. You know, I tell people I'm the wrong one to make you feel better about your racism. Are you a racist? Absolutely. You were raised in America and grew up in America. Okay. 
education system. You absolutely are. Now, knowing is half the battle. Wasn't that like uh, Optimus Prime? Didn't he say that? I don't remember what cartoon that was. Uh, G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe, yeah. Knowing <laughs> is half the battle. So if you know this about yourself, then we can start to fix some things. We all have prejudices. I definitely have some thoughts that come up, but because I work with children, I do the work every day so that I, that I keep myself in check. I push that down. Absolutely not. This kid, because I had a bad experience with a white little boy named Tim, doesn't mean the next white little boy named Tim is going to be the same experience. So I like see people as individuals, kids as individuals, and this is a new experience, and I never want a baby to feel less than in my presence, no matter who they are. So I do my best every day to do the work that needs to be done. I'm always educating myself about another person's experience. And if I don't know, I find a way to ask the question. Even though I say it's not my responsibility, I will have a conversation. I will, especially when it's coming from a genuine place. I will talk and I will refer you to some um, resources that might help you get started in your journey. But it's a work that we have to do. Um, and it's us artists who really are, who are going to be, I think, at the forefront of the change that needs to happen. We have to keep telling the story. We have to keep holding the mirror up to society and showing it itself. Like every show can't be Legally Blonde or Mamma Mia. Sometimes edutainment is important. You can be entertained and you can also be educated at the same time. You can learn something when you leave the room. And I'm a firm believer in edutainment. Like we don't have a good time, but you also gonna know something you didn't know when you leave this space. We have to be the ones to kind of lead the way in this change and um, we have to be the change that we want to see. And I think the world will follow because art absolutely reflects life. And we are also that, that hope that we can be better. It is possible to be better. We can absolutely be, we can be better. You know, I, I firmly believe that. And um, it's like, I, I want people to know that, um, it's like black folks, like when we talk, oh gosh, I could just talk about so many stupid things because you have to stop me because I can really go like on and on and on and on and on about it. Please um, keep going. I don't want you to stop. Go ahead. <laughs> no, because no, I mean, we talk about so many different things and what's going on with how we interact with the police. I get nervous, even though I know I've never done anything. I've gotten one speeding ticket in my life. And that was because that was like $176. This actors did not have to spend on a speeding ticket. And so I put put everywhere. Uh, I always make the joke that you kind of hear my car coming because I feel like my <laughs> car has like a little song it plays because it just like put, puts down the street. Uh, Cause I do not speed. I just don't do it. And, um, and or, but really and truly, I do whatever I can not to have to interact with police. Um, I don't get a warm and fuzzy feeling when police are around. And I don't want to feel that way. You know, I, I don't want to feel that way. Because there have been so many times when I know uh, a black person has called the police. They called and end up being the ones that are like accosted by the police. Like, no, I called you. It was like, I needed the help. And um, it's scary. And a lot of times it's because 
our lack of education and our lack of knowledge. Because what we don't know, there was nothing in America like a police force before 1865. They didn't even exist. When 1865 happened and emancipation showed up, then you, the, I think the closest thing you had to the police would have been like paddy rollers or slave catchers. So then after that, then you had a group of people who felt like, okay, we have to keep uh, these newly free people in check. And a lot of times white folks were afraid that black folks were uh, coming for revenge. Now, I feel like then we would have been well in our right to do so. You would have understood. But that's never been the attitude. All we wanted was to live and have families and make babies and eat and work and be a part of this, and be a part of this American dream, this American system, like this more perfect union to really make that a true statement. That's all we've ever really wanted. We wanted radical citizenship. I want to be a citizen. I want my vote to count just like anybody else's. I don't want you to close all the polling places in my neighborhood to make me drive 50 miles out of my way to go vote. And then you say, oh, well, black folks just didn't show up. No, you closed all the polling places. You do little things like that. And then we think, oh, black people don't vote. But black people think black people don't vote. You know, um, if you would listen to what's happening in the media, but that's not true. Like we come out, we make it a point to do so, or you make it difficult for low income families to do so. And, but there are times in our history where black folks and white folks have really come together and really worked together. And those are stories we don't hear often enough. You know, we don't, we don't hear it enough that it is possible. It is that more perfect union is possible. It is a possible thing. Um, and that is the core of the work that I do. I want, I want little black children. I want black people to know how beautiful and special and wonderful and how loved they are and how spectacular they are. And then on a whole, I want everybody to know that about themselves, that you are beautiful, you are special and you are loved. Uh, one thing I asked my uh, students, cause it was a really funny story. We were in a Wendy's, some guy from New York, you could hear that that accent was thick. He was just such a big personality. And he comes in, he's like, hey, what are you doing? I mean, it was like, like I had like walked into the set of Goodfellas or something, because that's just really how he talked. <laughs> and on his way out the door, he looked at us and he goes, hey, who's better than you? And we were like, nobody. He was like, damn right. And he leaves, white guy, he goes, damn right. So I say that now to my students, I go, hey, who's better than you? And they go, they don't know how to answer the question. I go, nobody, nobody is better than you because you are the only you you could possibly be. You are the only you that exists. So nobody's better than you. So I tell them all of that, all that. who's better than you? Nobody, so act like it, pull your shoulders back, put your chin up. So I tell each and every one of my students that. And then I want them to be able to see that in each other, you know, and grow to be human beings that remember their own humanity and can see the humanity in other people. That's really and truly my hope and my desire. Long story long, because I like I said, I can go on and on and on. <laughs> well, I I want to I want to go back to something you, you you shared that about what we as artists and, and our responsibility in this in this moment, I guess, is where we are right now. Um, 
I think it's I think it's important especially for white artists mm-hmm. to not be complacent that I am an artist, therefore I am woke, therefore I am yeah, I am progressive. I, I am already there, right? Um, right? We can't do that. We we can't become mm-hmm. complacent because the moment we do is when it stops. Right. And, and, and it's not true. Just because you're in the arts doesn't mean it's it's not true at all. There's always room for growth. Like the moment you stop growing, you start you die, I think. Yeah. The moment you stop growing, you stop learning, you die. It is a never ending sort of thing. We, there's always a way to be better and figure out how to work together. You know, um, and there is, and, and, there's a, and there's a way for everybody to do it. Everybody has to figure out what their lane is, what their job is, you know, in um, how do I use my art? Um, some people are like the uh, punch them in the gut artist. Some people are like the warm hug artist. You know what I mean? Some people are the like uh, laughter artist. You know what I mean? You have to figure out how do you use your art to contribute to society, you know? Because um, I'm not saying like we have to address all this, but we, we have to still remember to laugh in it all. Because I, I think I had somebody in my audience, how do you ask me, how do you not just hate like, and I was like, when you read those stories and how do you, at, at first I was very, very angry when you first start learning. But once you have like the vocabulary to support what you're feeling, you start to get less angry. And then you are um, able to really discern a person who was coming from a place of not blissful ignorance, but an ignorance. Like I just don't know. And it was being really genuine and wants to know. And then you can notice folks who are coming from a, a blissfully ignorant place. And I don't know that that 40 uh, effort kind of came. I was told that that would happen. You just wouldn't care when you turn 40. And it's true. Like, if you need to be blissfully ignorant, I can't do nothing about that. Like, you got no desire to know more than you know right now. There ain't a thing I can do about that. Um Getting in the uproar about a person not wearing a mask in a space. Well, I don't know how to make you care about somebody else. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do that. Um, so I'm going to put mine on, and I'm going to do my best to avoid you. You know, that's just kind of how I think. I don't know how to make you care about somebody else, whether I felt like it was a real thing or not. But because it makes you feel better, I'm going to put one on because I care about other people. It's just simple as that. It doesn't hurt me to put one on while I'm walking around Hamsteeder. <laughs> it doesn't hurt me one bit. And honestly, it makes me feel a little bit better that I don't have to smile at people. I just don't feel like it. And it's okay, because nobody can see it, that I'm not smiling. And it's really okay. I get a break from having to smile, because I used to do that all the time too, because it makes people feel comfortable, you know, smiling all the time. And I forgot to mention, because you had asked me about hot summer, but basically it is a class. And I think it's going to be like a dual offering of like you can participate virtually or you can participate in the classroom because you can't be any more than nine people in the space. Uh, and I don't know if I'm going to cap it yet. Like I said, still very much um, in the works. I don't know what number of students will cap it at. 
And maybe we'll have to do more than one section of it. But basically, it just simply addresses historical events and contemporary events. And it addresses, um, it's a safe space. So we can address any um, misunderstanding. We can help you unlearn some things. It tell you some things you didn't know. Um, we'll have some textbooks that, not textbooks, but some literature that will support what we're doing. Um, because that's always important, you know, because everybody has, I was told by a college professor that everybody has an opinion. What you have is interpretation based on fact. You don't have an opinion. You've read and now you have interpretation based on fact. I was like, I like that. It sounds smart. So I tell my kids that now. You've read it, so now you have an interpretation of Shakespeare based on fact because you've read the literature that goes with it. So it's going to have that to support it. And it will lead up to this performance and the kids will somehow, I think, um, it'll be a multimedia experience because it'll be filmed um, and it'll be it'll work as a live show because I didn't want to just plan it as a live show and have my spirits dash. When Governor Cooper says, no, we can't, our numbers are back up. No, we can't. So I said, it'll work both ways. Um, and it was a way for me to collaborate with my friends who are filmmakers as well. Um, and then it took an experience for the students to be involved in that aspect of art as well, just something else new for them to learn. So in addition to learning about social justice, they will also still learn those uh, um, fundamentals of acting and what it is to uh, always tell the truth in your acting, because that's what I teach. Teach my students, no matter what character you're playing, you have to tell the truth. Uh, even if you're playing Charlie Brown, he has a truth. He has um, wants, needs, desires. We have to figure out what those are. And we always want to tell the truth. And it'll give your performance this authenticity that it wouldn't have without it. So they'll still learn that. And then they'll get a little bit of like film knowledge as well, as soon as we figure out how all of that's going to work and how we'll be able to um, really offer it so people can see it. That's fantastic. <laughs> so like, oh, that's like, awesome. And I, I, I want to keep up with how that, how that goes and, and the success of that. Cause I'm, I'm certain it will be successful and I, I'm just excited absolutely. to see what comes out of it. You can see it. You can absolutely see it. Um, I want I wanted to ask you when you when you were in a classroom, mm -hmm. um, and and what what was one of your absolute favorite things to work with your students on? Something your favorite thing to teach, or a project that you did, or okay, hands down. All right, so my advanced acting students, um, they're participating. This is my second year. And um, and I found out very quickly, I'm not like a school system classroom teacher. That's just not me at all. I have mad respect for them though. Like I had no idea. Like I think I found my high school teacher. Yeah, Miss Razzler, who I'm actually working with now on the uh, 10 minute play festival in Concord. And I said, Miss Razzler, I just wanna say thank you because I did not realize all the junk that you have to deal with before you even get a chance to even teach the thing you love to teach. There's just so many other things. Like, I don't want to do hall duty. What is this? 
in the hallway. I need to be reading a script or something. There's just so many other responsibilities other than teaching that teachers have to deal with. Because, I mean, they are like your parents, your psychologists, and all these different things. But hands down, it was always working on a show. It was always going to be my favorite thing with my kids. And then specifically, my advanced acting students um, were preparing for NCTC. Um, And, you know, that's the North Carolina Theater Conference and all these different high schools come together and they compete. And I had chosen um, an adaptation of Antigone. Okay. And it was this, um, the way it was written was that you had your characters and then you had the chorus characters. So each, there was Antigone, Antigone chorus, Creon, Creon chorus. And it was cool that sometimes they spoke at the same time. And it was, uh, it was so dope. And I was like, okay, chorus people, you live in the spirit world, right? You can interact with the human version of yourself. You can interact with each other and you can interact with the audience. Whereas the human versions like Antigone can only speak to other human characters. And she can only speak to you Antigone Chorus when you address her. That's the only time she can, if you don't address her first, she cannot address you. And it was so, it was like a really, really cool uh, concept. And they were so good. We talked about what it meant to be president in the moment. And I got to teach them about Stanislavski stuff. I didn't learn until I was in college. I know no idea who that was because I'm an actor. And that is how I taught from an actor's perspective. You know, I said, I can teach you how to be a working actor because that is what I am. And I can teach you how to be the type of person that people want to hire. Like this is this is how you must behave. But on the and that was such a beautiful experience. Like they did so well. Like they just killed. We were definitely the school to beat that first day. And and, and they felt so good about themselves and the performances that they gave. And uh but in the same token, the other side of that coin. Um, I ended up having to defend the piece mm-hmm. to the administration. I was like, it's Antigone, it's Sophocles. And it was because, um, you know, Antigone hangs herself in the story. And uh, unfortunately, a couple years before, a student had done that on campus there. And they were like, they, you can't do that here. We don't know. I said, honestly, I was like, they hadn't thought about that until you walked in here and brought it up. So I appreciate that <laughs> um, for you doing that. And so are we never to do, uh, am I, can I not do Shakespeare? Somebody dies in every one of these shows. Like it's the tragedies and they literally teach these shows, these stories upstairs on the English hallway. So every English teacher was like, oh no, we'll fight this battle with you. Like, oh no, like, so one of the assistant principals, her son was actually in the show and she came to competition and she said, you have to let these kids perform this show as it has been directed because it is awesome. They were absolutely awesome. And I, and I just knew that I could not be in a place where I find myself having to defend wanting to perform Sophocles as it is written. I just felt so creatively stifled, but I absolutely loved my students. Like I was 
so invested in their futures. And some of them still reach out to me now. They call me now um, to tell me what they're doing. Uh, I had one call me from college to say, you know, she needed a monologue. I said, you are in college. Find your own monologue. You know how to do that. <laughs> and then, of course, I helped her. I just couldn't do it. But <laughs> I helped her, but they still reach out because I honestly do want to know. And if I can help them in any way, I do want to be able to help them. So if I miss anything, it is them and forging those relationships with those babies. And they were high schools. I mean, they were high school, but they're still my babies. And I loved it them immensely and I loved being able to be in the space with them immensely but um it just being in that classroom like in that regard it just was not for me but outside of that I would like direct them in a heartbeat but that was what I loved the most being able to direct the show well that's what I I really strive with with the podcast to have all forms of teachers on here uh, not just the classroom teachers, but uh, theater education majors and 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 theater students in high school is something I, I eventually want. I want to talk to them, but but teaching artists like you are so critical to our work and and to critical to theater education. So I I appreciate you and I thank you for all that you do and and I. I appreciate your heart and your your passion because it's it's clear and it's there and and your your students are very lucky and the people you work with are very very lucky. I feel very blessed as well. I, I really really do. Yeah. In addition to doing work that's like about social justice and that uh, as far as race is concerned and doing uh, shows that uplift uh, black stories and tell black stories, I also want to because um, I really am working on revamping my whole theater company because I kind of started my own like theater company and I wanted to revamp it and so because I want there to be more inclusion for me because I, I wanted like lots of people to know that we tell all sorts of stories and I really want to address um, stories that fall in the spectrum of the LGBTQ community you know um, I really want to tell those stories as well because I feel like a lot of the same misunderstandings, a lot of the hate that comes out of that, or like some of those volatile reactions people have, is simply because you just don't know. Mm -hmm. And you don't have a relationship with people who live this life. And it was really funny because I was hanging out with some women and there was a married uh, couple, two women. And she said, I don't know what people think we do. She's like, we go to Costco. We were at Costco yesterday. I was, I was just like, right, we all just live. We all just live. And you would know that if you had friends who were black, you would know that they just live. If you had friends who were gay, you would know, hey, I was at their house, they had chicken the other night, so did I. You know what I mean? Just know, people just literally just want to live. That's really all they want to do, you know, and grow their family. So um, I want to tell. The, I want to tell every kind of story that I can tell. That's what I want to do. Well, I think that's. I think you bring up a good point with that is because we we as teachers and and teaching artists and we have all of these students in front of us every day. Mm-hmm. They may not tell us that that's the story in their life, but but they're there, and and I think it's representation is critical. Weaving, weaving diversity and letting it be a conscious 
um, a conscious decision and move by the teacher to include as diverse of a population in the work that you're doing with your kids, whether it be the plays that you read, the when you're talking about theater history, bringing in all the cultures, and whether it's bringing in a guest artist who represents, you know, it's that's critical and being very intentional with weaving diversity, multiculturalism, anti-racism. Yes. Into the fabric of our curriculum. And I, I stress that all the time to my students because in every methods class I have, we have a huge, a huge focus on, on diversity and, and how we as theater teachers can just make it a part of the culture of our classroom. Mm-hmm. And not just the one-off. We're going to read *Raisin in the Sun* in February, you know. We're, I'm weaving. I, I see my Latinx students. We're gonna we're gonna read Latinx playwrights in here. We're gonna. It, I, I know the student is 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 trans. Let's let's see if there's something a theater for youth piece that we can do that that captures that. Wow, so, it, it's there. Yes. The, the the work is there. And if you find there's a void, fill it. Yes. Maybe we can create the work. If it's the, if we don't feel like it exists, if your story is not being told, nobody can tell your story better than you can. Let's tell it. Let's figure it out. And if I can help you tell it, come to me and I will do my best to help you tell it. Yeah. I absolutely will do my best to help you tell it. Um, uh, I think teaching in high school is my first experience, uh, well, um, having trans kids in my class. Um or actually not really, uh, one of my really good friends in St. Louis, um, her daughter was trans. And at first, because I grew up, I, I grew with them knowing this child is a specific, in a specific way. And so it was like, it was so hard for me to say she instead of he. And it was so hard for me to call, say her instead of him. And then I went, look at the, how is that affecting your life in any way, shape, form, or fashion to respect this child, to call this child what this child wants to be called? And once I checked myself in that way, I was, it was like, girl, it was no problem. She, like, that was my niece. And so then when it happened in the high school setting, it was that, that, that like, resistance to say, because I've learned you one way, and then I was like, stop that. Like, we have to recognize that. And I had checked it in myself. And now it's fine to say he. I don't have a problem saying he. So, like, whatever you want to be called, because I respect you and I see your humanity, because I know I see my own, so I see yours, I will call you whatever you would like me to call you. That's not a problem for me. And that puts me in, um, and for various other reasons, too, it puts me in opposition with, you know, like some of the people who are closest to me because they would totally disagree with that. And that's okay, you know, because it is your right as a human being to disagree, but it is not your right as a human being to impede upon the life of another person, to keep a person out, you know? So that's what we have to remember. And I think that's me as an educator, that's what I'm here to do, to remind you of these things. Like you can do that, but you can't do that. That's not where it works, that's where we mess up. So I have some hope, you know, <laughs> I do. Well, and I think that's, I think that's, you, you're speaking directly to the point I was making a, a little bit, a little bit ago about artists and becoming complacent and um, 
thinking that we're already there and we're not. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I think one of the things that so many people right now are are learning, and I'm, I'm, so many white people right now are learning, is the importance of just shutting up and listening, and mm-hmm. really hearing. And apologizing when you need to, because we're going to make mistakes, whether it's with a black student, whether it's with an LGBT student in our class, Um, we're going to mess up, apologize and do better. Educate yourself and do better. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's right. Do better. When you know better, you do better. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Lakitha, I need to know what is one of your absolute favorite resources that you have used or do use uh, currently that is an absolute must-have for every theater teacher? Okay, so I would say if you were new to teaching and you don't have your, like, repertoire all built up yet, what was really a cool uh, resource for me was, and I still use it sometimes, theaterfolks.com, because they have free resources, and there was some small scenes, some monologues in there, um, that would help you like get, get, if you just needed something to get started. And then um, open-ended scenes, love them, hands down. Because I teach a lot of times, it's not about, um, it's all about the delivery. And you have to decide and let us know what's happening in this scene, all based on how you deliver these lines here. Uh, and then we talk about how that translates to real life. Like if you, especially if you are in like a conflict with some person, I said, it's about your delivery. If you come at a person like that, they can't hear you. If it's all aggressive and loud, nine times out of 10, they are not going to hear you. They're just going to come at you the same way. But if you change your delivery, then a person is in a position to hear you. Because I always talk about how the skills that you learn in the theater class will translate to your life, your real life. And I said, and no offense to geometry, but I guarantee you're going to use this before you use geometry, unless you work in math. I mean, unless you're an architect, <laughs> you know, or something <laughs> like that. But I'm just saying, you're going to always have to be able to use these skills. So open-ended scenes most definitely is something that is um, a great resource. And for like new, like uh, young adult actors, I have, um, there's a book called A Letter to Young Black Actors. And then there is an, another book that I had to read uh, in college and it was An Actor Prepares. And honestly, to read it now at 40, after I've worked and worked and worked, I have a new understanding of what the book was talking about. So those two books are some resources for me as a partner that I always use. So theater folks, and then uh, just open-ended scenes. And you can Google that mm-hmm. and find a lot of them on Google. And they will just save a class. If you got nothing to do, <laughs> check it out. Like, if you're a teaching artist, like, what are we going to do now? Here's a scene. You get this part, you get this one. It works. Works really well. Those are awesome. <laughs> um, and my final question for you before I let you go is what are your parting words of wisdom for new theater teachers entering the profession or maybe that veteran teacher who just needs an encouraging word right now? Um, I would say my parting words are this. Um, You're doing an amazing job and we are our worst critics. 
because I know one of your questions on that page was how do you take care of yourself? I'm just learning how to do that. Me too. Um, <laughs> you have to make time for you. It is absolutely important. It is self-care is super important because if you are on the E, because we theater teachers, we tend to like, we have to teach the whole school day. And then our second job starts because rehearsals nine times out of 10 are after school. You're there for so long. Like it's like you never leave. And if you are running on E, if you are empty, you have nothing to give another person. So you have to make sure you are doing those things that fill you up, that give you a boost, that rest and take care of your mental health. And when you are in a good place, your students and the people around you, your family will benefit from when you are in a good place. So take care of you and know that you are doing a good job and you are not alone. We are all out here and we are literally to quote the great uh, high school musical. We are all in this together. Like we really are. We really, really are. So I mean, find me on Facebook and we can chat and we can be friends because we are, I'm, we're here. And there's definitely somebody in your area that's here for you and willing to talk to you. So, Well, Lakeitha Blakeney, thank you for joining me to to Thank share you. your stories it was, fun. it was fun and i i do hope we'll stay in touch and and i want to hear all about all these upcoming great things you have going on so please let me know and and keep me posted on those but i wish you all the best and and i hope covid goes away soon so you can get back out there and and perform absolutely. for some people again absolutely i'll get back out here i'll get back out here absolutely thank you thank um, you healthy and stay safe. And curtain. That's a wrap for this week's episode of Fed Talks Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so already, please find Fed Talks on your favorite podcast provider and subscribe to the show so it automatically shows up in your podcast app each week. Rate us by leaving some stars, review us by saying what you love about the show, and most importantly, share the podcast with those theater educators in your life. Find us on all your favorite social media. We're on Twitter at Theater Ed Talks. Fed Talks on Facebook and Fed Talks Podcast on Instagram. Visit our website at www.fedtalks.com for all our past episodes and resource lists from the guests you've met on the show. And email me directly by emailing fedtalkspodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your feedback, recommendations for guests on the show, or if you just want to be a guest yourself. Thank you, Joel Hamlin and Joshua Schusterman, for the use of your original music that we hear on the show. And thank you for listening and for all you do for your students. I'm Jimmy Chrisman. Join me next week for another great interview. Have a great week.